Hi there, how are you? Now, did you know the majority of carers fall ill whilst caring for a loved one? Why is this and what can we do about it? Hi, I'm Sarah Chalice and I am the author of Who Cares? How to Care for Yourself Whilst Caring for a Loved One. And I'd like to share my story of what happens whilst caring. And let me take you back to Tuesday, the 21st of December, 1999, I've just got a job in London of all places and picture the scene. I'm on the 26th floor of the NatWest Tower, huge views overlooking the city. This is where my life's gonna start. So I've only been there for three days. I'm sat at my desk going through the brand guidelines. When I hear footsteps behind me, I look up and there he is. It's Neil. He's six foot four, size and stature of a rugby player, cheeky smile, and he's our print supplier to our design team. He's brought us all in wine for Christmas. You all right there, Sarah? Got a little something you might like. Man after my own heart. Anyway, every now and again, Neil would take us out for a bite to eat. Always enjoyed his company. Oozed confidence, very relaxed. A little while later, he asked me out and we started dating, having a great time. Got loads of mates, really popular and even captain of Hampstead Rugby Club. Anyway, during this time, it hadn't been long, he said, you know, he thought I was the one. Whoa, slow on down there, Neil. I've not been in London long. But I do remember the day we were driving over Tower Bridge together. I love Tower Bridge, very special. And as we were driving in his mug, I looked across at him and gazed at him. I said, you know what? I could spend the rest of my life with you. Neil looked back at me. And I could spend the rest of my life with you. When we came off that bridge, we were on a journey together. But during this time, he'd been having these kind of funny pins and needles down one side, even slurring his speech a bit, <laughs> drinking again, Neil. And then a little while later, not long, he couldn't even get off the sofa. It was like flu-like symptoms. I rang in the end NHS Direct, giving them a call and saying, you know, what do you suggest? They ended up organising an ambulance and taking him to hospital. Good, get him checked out. So off we go, they're checking him all over. Into the night we're there, it's tiring, waiting for results. I end up going home to get some shut-eye and in the morning, I end up getting a call from the hospital. Apparently, they'd done a brain scan. Hmm. Anyway, I end up turning up at the hospital about an hour later and there's Neil sat up in a ward of six men Bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, he looks fine. Hopefully we can go back back home shortly. And as he sat there, I give him a big hug. I would say within five minutes of me sitting on the bed with him, there is an, quite an old, distinguished-looking doctor, half-moon glasses, a little bit of white hair, comes to us. He's got Neil's files. Ah, oh, Mr Chalice. And he starts to pull the blue curtain around us. I've got the scan results for you, and... It doesn't look good. It, it looks like it's either a brain tumour or brain cancer. Oh my God, brain tumour. Neil and I look at each other and we feel our eyes fill. Oh, I hug him tightly. I'm, I'm here for you, Neil. Don't worry about it. Just get better. Anyway, Neil had a long operation to remove most of that tumour and he had six months of chemotherapy and radiotherapy. 
and I was with him back and forth from the hospital like you probably are with your loved one. But by the end of that six months, they did another brain scan and it was all gone. Oh, thank God we could just get on with our lives. Anyway, so that's what we did for the whole of that year, going on holiday, getting on with work again. And then that following Christmas, Neil proposed to me. And we look forward to getting married, I don't know, maybe in a year or so. I was never in any rush. But only a few weeks after he'd proposed, he'd been having those funny side effects down his arm. Brought his scan forward. And sadly, his hunch was right. The tumour had returned. But this time, it was inoperable. We came home from the hospital and we were stood here in the dining room. And Neil gazed down at me. Sarah, you don't have to marry me. I gazed up at him. Stuff the cancer, Neil. We will make the most of what we have. A little naive when I think back now, but we were on this journey together. So anyway, we brought our wedding forward and saw it as a huge celebration with all our friends and family. But five more years of chemotherapy resumed. And by the end of that, I'd given up my job, my career, to care for Neil full time. And I wanted to make quality time with him, however long we had. Anyway, a few more years after that, Neil had a stroke and he ended up in a hospital bed in our living room, unable to speak with a peg feeding tube, hoisted every day. My larger than life husband had been reduced to not much more than a body in a bed. And it was a tragedy for both of us, whereas Neil was slowly losing his life. As a carer, I felt like I was losing mine. But you get on with it, don't you? I mean, what else can you do? You've got to be there for your loved one. And this is how I describe it at that time, and maybe you'll recognise some of this. Whereas Neil was the one with the illness and with the brain tumour, I, as a carer, woke up to brain cancer for 13 years. It may not have been in my head, but it certainly affected every area of my life. And I made myself solely responsible for Neil. Tall order for a man who could be gone at any time. And I felt quite lonely, quite isolated. Friends and family don't really understand what I'm going through. And if I did get out, well, I felt guilty. I mean, how dare you go out and enjoy yourself? Shouldn't you be back at home caring for your loved one? But you know what? I do love a glass of Prosecco of an evening. What do you do to distract yourself? Some nights it was the glass, some nights it was the bottle. If I can get out of an evening, I could drink my body weight in fizz. If you saw me on Facebook, well, I've always got a drink in my hand and a smile in my face. Or should I call it fake book? Anyway, I soldiered on regardless for years, suppressing my emotions, which is what many of us do as carers. But finally, the cracks started to show. At first, I ended up with a horrendous chest infection. I had it for months and months. Antibiotics were not touching it. Finally, I ended up with MRSA infection in both ears, brought home from Neil when he had been at the hospital. We made a right pair because I was also going back and forth from the hospital. I was not in a good state at all. Finally, my good friend Reagan came to care for Neil one day while I was back at the hospital again. Now, Reagan's got long auburn hair, same age as me, a good pal, and a real heart of gold. And when I finally came home that evening, she answered the door and these were her very words. Well, I hope you've got a pat of butter for your bottom. 
okay? Because I'm going to smack it. I had no idea what you do. Why are you keeping this a secret? I'm not, Reagan. You know, you just get on with it. That's what we do as carers. Well, I've only been here for a day and I'm exhausted. No wonder you're ill. Haven't you spoken to friends or family? I have done Reiki, but you know, when I've found in what many of us as carers find, if you're the one who steps up to the mark to care for your loved one, others will kind of step back and leave you to it. Well, you can't keep going like this. Who else can you call? Ghostbusters? No. Well, you know what? I could ring Julia, head nurse at our local hospice where Neil goes to the day centre each week. I'll give her a call the next day. And that's what I did. I placed that call and finally asked for help. Hey, Julia. Yeah, it's Sarah. No, no, it's not about Neil. It's about me. Yeah. Well, you know, I've not been good for a long time. I don't get to see my friends anymore. I feel quite lonely. Don't get out exercising, I'm too ill. I love to go for a run or a walk, but I just don't have the strength. Even giving up drinking, you know, that's a tall order. Hey, you've been expecting this call. Yeah, I have been caring for Neil for over a decade. What's that? Emergency respite. So Neil could go in and give me a break. That would be wonderful. Thank you so much, Julia. I'll wait to hear to you later. Thank you. Bye. Julia had noticed that I hadn't been coping for a long time. And actually, she wasn't the only one. But at the time, as a carer, I thought I was coping. Even though I wasn't, I was on that slide, as many of us are. Anyway, only about a week later, Neil is in our nursing home down the road. I end up going to a silent retreat of all places. Question is... Can I shut up for five days? You'd be surprised. And what I found after a few days, I was getting quality sleep because I'd not been good for a long time. I always had one ear out for Neil, maybe you do for your loved one. And what I was also finding while I was sat there, meditating for a half an hour with some of the others in this long room, I found that not only had I left myself last on the list, I wasn't even on the list. It was time to make changes. And not only that, I'd found that there were certain friends and family, they could see I was caring for a terminally ill husband, but instead of being there in kindness and helping and supporting, they were busy judging me. And what I decided to is let them go, either physically or emotionally. I needed to make sure I was okay, as you do too. Anyway, a few weeks later, I'm back at home caring for Neil, but this time, I'm caring for myself and making sure I'm okay. And actually I'm starting to enjoy life again. It's taken me a bit of time. I've not been good for a long time, but I also need to be there for me as you need to be there for you. Anyway, a few months after this, I'm wheeling Neil in to our local charity quiz night. And as we sat there at a table with a few others, I see a bald woman in her 60s comes running towards me. Hey. Sarah, but you don't recognise me. It's Carol, but where's her hair? Hey, you know I've been caring for Jeff all these years. He died a couple of months ago, and only three days after his funeral. I was diagnosed with cancer. Awful. I was so shocked. 
But get a load of this, Sarah. You know Tara's been caring for Daniel all these years. He's got a brain tumour, like Neil. Well, only eight weeks after he passed away earlier this year, she was diagnosed with MS, multiple sclerosis. And now she's in a wheelchair and their son's caring for her. It's like a ripple effect of illness going through the family. Shocking. I was really shocked. But then she looked at me. But Sarah, you look all right. You've been caring for Neil for eons. What are you doing differently? And yeah, you know, I had been suffering. I'd not been good. But then I'd found ways to make sure I was okay. I needed to make sure I was okay because otherwise I can't look after Neil as you can't look after your loved one. And I did ask these ladies, did they think it was the stress and the burden of caring that made them so horribly ill? And the answer was yes. They believed it was, and there was a few others that I know as well that have, have actually admitted that. So we do need to look after ourselves. We have to. We don't have any choice. So don't feel guilty in looking after you. You need to be there for you. Fill yourself up and make yourself feel better in whatever way you need to. And also know when to push back. Know when to say no. You can't be there for everybody all of the time. Also be there for you. Okay, and I'm just gonna press play, there we go. So that's when I actually started to write, who cares how to care for yourself whilst caring for a loved one? Because most of us don't. Most of us are too busy focusing on a loved one and we'll come into detail on more, more of that. And I actually won a, a, a People's Book Prize Award a couple of years ago, which is wonderful. So it's really getting that message out there. And I've given a lot of talks for all sorts of people and, and also give my course out for Carers UK, UK and my, my own as well, which has been wonderful. And since then as well, I'm a mindfulness instructor. So I've been looking at that health and well-being, which is so important for us, isn't it? And also I, I do a lot for INS, a local neuro charity here in Twickenham uh, for the Mind, Body, Spirit group. My question to you, depending on where you are in the UK, I'm the carer representative on our health and wellbeing board. You will have one in your area. And if they haven't, they need a carer representative on their health and wellbeing board. And I look at all the gaps within all the reports and funding where carers should be mentioned and talked about and where they are and I put my hand up and I say where are the carers in this so it started to make those changes so we would need one on something like 153 uh, health and well-being boards across the UK now on the 6th of September 2015 we only lived down the road from Twickenham Stadium here and Neil loved his rugby I'd wheeled him up to watch England pay Ireland just before the World Cup but when I got him home Neil had another stroke and he passed away in my arms that night. And you know, when he passed, I actually said, thank you. I said, thank you for Neil being in my life. He was a great guy and it was such a shame that what had happened for both of us had been a tragedy. But I also said, thank you for his passing because I didn't want him suffering anymore. And I don't know if you know this, but compassion means to suffer with. And as carers, we certainly do that, don't we? We suffer with our loved ones, we go through it with them. This is what I'd like to say to you. Life is not about abstaining and enduring. It's still about enjoying your life, especially 
if you are a carer. And I know it's not easy when you're maybe caring full time as well and you're trying to do a lot of other things, but it is also about you and your life. And my question to you now is, are you giving too much? Because did you know the best part of 70% of carers fall either mentally and physically unwell, as, as I did as well. And something like 600 working carers quit every day from work due to the insufficient support. And I've actually started to give talks for carers in the workplace as well now and for their line managers. So that's just started to happen. So it's kind of pioneering, which is great because then it's making people really recognize and understand carers. And, you know, with Carers Week, last week's thing for this year is being recognized and supported in the community. So caregivers burnout uh, is a very real thing. Caregivers, uh, they're called caregivers in the US and that's a very real thing in the US. And I just wanna quickly share Pam's story. Now Pam had been caring for her husband. She was in her eighties and she was at my neighbor's house one day having her hair done, who has a hairdressing salon, Nadia. And she actually passed out in her chair while she was having her hair done. Nadia rang me, all stressed. Sarah, Sarah, please come. Pam's not well, can you help me? So I went jumping over the wall, ran inside, and there was this woman, pale as anything, her eyes closed. I put my hand on her shoulder. Pam, can you hear me? And she just nodded very, very slowly. I said, take some long, deep breaths, long, deep breaths, and start to get some air into your system. So she did. And then we finally laid her down on the floor with some blankets and cushions. She started to tell us that she'd found a lump on her husband's arm um, because she cared for him. And he was elderly, I think he was in his nineties. And when she started to tell me all about her husband's arm, she threw up. She was literally worried sick and he didn't want to go to hospital and he didn't want to get checked out. So there was all this stress she was going through. As she lay there, unable to get up, she said, oh my God, Laura will be so angry when she hears about this. Now, I don't know who Laura is, but I'm not really interested in how Laura and what she thinks about it. I'm worried about Pam because she can't even get off the floor. And then she was worried about a whole load of other things. And she said she thought it was a panic attack. She'd had it before. It was her burnout. And during the time that she lay on the floor, she never once thought about herself. That is caregiver's burnout. Very difficult for her. Anyway, we got her an ambulance. She went off to hospital. She had a chest infection and she bought us flowers, me and Nadia, for getting her to hospital a week later. And we said, don't worry about it. We just want to make sure you're okay. But you know what? Within the year, Pam was gone. And I just believe she just was not looking after herself. It's so important that you do. So recognize, I had quite a lot of these when I was caring for Neil, recognize the symptoms of caregiver's burnout. Maybe you're feeling powerless, anxiety and depression, fatigue and feeling drained, maybe feeling angry or resentful. It's being human being, it, it happens. I remember being a bit shouty and angry at one time. Possibly you're having trouble sleeping. You've got so much on your mind or having difficulty to concentrate. And like me, maybe it's drinking or smoking or overeating or gambling, like I say, there could be all sorts of things that we distract ourselves with. 
or maybe you also have health problems as well, exasperated whilst caring. And the pressure can build up bit by bit and go unnoticed. And I describe it as being comfortably uncomfortable. You kind of feel uncomfortable, but you're used to it. So how to avoid caregivers burnout? Well, number one, and we're gonna go into this in more detail shortly, awareness, check in with yourself regularly and open up to others, just let them know. For the longest time, I bottled it up wanting to look like I was coping. Let family and friends know or work colleagues, let them know. They need to know and confide in the right people. Not everybody will have that empathy and the compassion that you need right now. Some of them just seem to have that chip removed. So confide in those who really get you and take regular breaks. Even if it's like 10 minutes between certain chores or half an hour here or there, you know, we can be very much like, just do this, just do that, and then just fall into bed worn out. Take just even a little break, long deep breaths, sit in the garden, put a piece of music on, and just rest your body just for a bit. Makes a big difference. Lift your mood in whatever way it might be, watching a comedy, going for a walk in nature, ringing a good friend who you get on with, you know, whatever is good for you. Exercise, not everybody's favorite cup of tea, but even relaxing things like tapping, maybe a bit of Tai Chi or Qigong, they're very relaxed moves or a bit of very simple yoga. I do a few of those, very empowering, very good. Deep breathing is a big one as well. Just taking a long deep breath right to the top for four, hold it for four, and then a very slow breath out. It changes your physiology and it starts to rest and repair your body. Just doing that for a minute actually makes a big difference. Screen. Maybe shut the windows and doors first if you want to do that. I've screened while I was caring for Neil and I know of other carers who have screened when you get so frustrated with getting it out of your system. And I've punched a pillow and screamed. It's very good, scream into a pillow. It's very empowering, getting it out of your system and ask for help. For me, it took the longest time for me to ask for help, but please do ask for help. Put those feelers out. It's great that we have the charity here as well, but there's loads of great work being done by all sorts of charities, local and national. And as Bill Vaughan says, one of the quickest ways of becoming exhausted is by suppressing your feelings. So our perception of caring, because this can be make or break for carers. How do you perceive yourself whilst caring? Maybe pop it in the chat if you'd like. How do you perceive yourself as a carer? Because for me personally, whilst I was caring for Neil, I would, if somebody said, oh, what do you do? I'd go, just a carer. Doesn't sound very good, does it? You know what I might as well have just said? I'm just a dog's body, just existing, being there for another. But what was the knock-on perception of me actually seeing this and thinking this about myself as a carer? Well, I had a lack of self-worth and I actually wasn't there for myself anymore, as I said in my story. I treated myself as a walking doormat. And what happens if you do this? Others will do the same. They'll quite happily use you as a walking doormat as well, to a point where I remember carers and one of the family members, they, were, they came and stayed. They slept in my bed while I slept on the floor. And I was caring for Neil 24 seven at that time. I wouldn't do that again. I've kind of learned by the hard way. 
but it's really important to have that love and respect for you. And I just, it, I describe it as this carer's response mode. Within just a short time of caring for a loved one, you become programmed with this certain behavior and you're just not aware of it. It becomes automatic, like driving a car. I mean, you remember what it was like when you first started to drive. You had so many things to think about. Now, if you were to get in a car, you drive from A to B, well, you'd be there in no time and you wouldn't thought about any of it. You know why? Because it's all logged in your subconscious. And so is all the elements of your caring, your advanced level of caring that you have for your loved one. It's all in the subconscious. It's there to make it easier for you. But what you're doing is you're putting out, making sure everybody else is okay, whatever it is you're having to do every day. And it's logged there. Even when you're kind of going, that's why we feel guilty because you're not used to giving to yourself. So we need to actually create that response mode of also caring for you and logging it in the back of your brain. So you're there for yourself. But the trouble is it becomes a habit, making your life easier, that continued caring that you do. It becomes the familiar and this new way of thinking and doing. It becomes your new normal, even if it's not doing you any good. You are on automatic and this is programming. It's that subconscious at the back of the brain. So imagine that this iceberg is uh, your brain. The top bit is the conscious mind and has the willpower, short-term memory, and logical and critical thinking. Now, the back of the brain is most of it, the subconscious mind. And that is where your programming and your habits are. So you end up doing, saying, yeah, don't worry, I'm there for you. I'll do this, I'll do that. And just bypassing how you actually feel. Even if you feel exhausted, you just do it anyway. Also, there's the response mode. There it is. It's all in the back of the brain. So there's also the emotions in there, values and beliefs, long-term memory, imagination and intuition. But you are so much more as a carer. You are a lifeline to others. Just imagine a world where nobody cared. There would be millions of us needing help. You keep the world going. There's over something like over 100 million carers in Europe. There'll be a lot more than that now. It really is amazing what carers do. So the question is, what is the true value of carers? Well, you keep a, give a loved one a better quality of life. And often you can extend the longevity of the cared for for years. I believe caring for Neil, it kept him going for the best part of seven years longer because when he'd go into the hospice to give me a break, a respite, he'd go downhill rapidly. But when I got him home, he was clearly better. I don't know if you know this, but carers save our economy 193 billion pounds a year. That is the cost of a second NHS, which is amazing but not if you end up paying with your health, which too many carers do. And you may not feel this, but you are a true inspiration. Recognize that, you really are. Now I gave a talk a number of years ago at the Houses of Parliament, it was with the Brain Tumor Charity, trying to get more funding. And after I had finished, there was a neurosurgeon got up and he spoke and he said he was often asked what was the best criteria for surviving a brain tumour. Well, I kind of stood there thinking, maybe it's um, the latest chemo or gamma knife, whatever that is. But his answer surprised us all. He said the best criteria for surviving a brain tumour was marital status. 
and I love this, I, I was quite amazed that he said this, but I don't actually think that you need to be married per se. But imagine if you've fallen gravely ill or you're very disabled, you've got somebody there as a carer and loves you and they're fighting your corner, being an emotional and physical rock. That's really powerful, that keeps you going. Not just that, you will then still have a reason to live, the love of another, which is you. So recognize that you keep a loved one going, you really do. It's time to value your worth and recognize all that you do. So give yourself every day self-love and self-respect and make decisions from this place because you are pivotal in every decision. I think with a lot of us, when you know family say, oh, can you do this, can you do that? You automatically say yes, and we've just got no boundaries. And, but you are pivotal. So if you're feeling exhausted already, say to yourself, well, is this in my best interest as well? Factor yourself in, put yourself up there at the top of the list, not at the bottom. And I've got a question for you now. How are you feeling? Are we gonna go into this on a deeper level? How are you feeling mentally? Because thoughts are the language of the brain. And we have the best part of 70,000 thoughts a day. Many of the thoughts that you're thinking today are on a loop and you thought yesterday and the day before and the day before that and probably will think tomorrow as well. So if you do have a pen and paper handy, maybe jot these down or put anything in the chat Maybe think about it afterwards, after this talk. What thoughts do keep coming up for you, which are not doing you any good? Are they mostly positive or negative thoughts that are coming up? You know, that monkey chatter that keeps going on in the mind. And how are your thoughts generally making you feel? So those are the thoughts. And how are you feeling emotionally? Because as thoughts are the language of the brain, emotions are the language of the body we often suppress our emotions as I did whilst I was caring and we ignore them but these are a good sign to let us know if something's good or bad for us you know that gut feeling it's good to notice your emotions and how you are feeling every day so let me ask you which negative emotions do you often feel what kind of negative emotions come up for you on a regular basis? It's be a really difficult one because some of us as carers, we don't, we've not gone there, we've shut it down for such a long time. Feel into your heart, even put your hand on your heart and have some quiet time. Just ask yourself, how am I feeling? Which positive emotions do you feel? You know, I used to get that help as high because it's altruistic, isn't it? Being there for a loved one, making sure that they're okay. And I used to feel good looking after Neil, if I wasn't so drained, that is. Do you notice yourself suppressing any emotions, not wanting to go there? Notice that. Finally, how are you feeling physically? Because if negative thoughts and feelings go unchecked, they actually start to impact the body as they did for me. And stress can build up unnoticed and even suppress our immune system. So then we end up picking up anything going out there. So it's so important that you are regularly checking in on yourself. We'll come on to that in a moment. Too many of us as carers ignore our own health and even cancel appointments. Maybe you have too. Please don't do that. 
you need to be there for you and you need to look after your body and your health. So let me ask you, how are you physically? And has the stress of caring made you physically ill in any way? If so, in what way? Well, for me, it was mentally and physically. And sometimes if you had a condition or illness before you started caring, maybe it's worsened due to the stress of caring. I know that with many carers when I give talks. So those are the three main questions in asking yourself how you're feeling. And this is really about you gaining clarity from this point forward. And after I'd fallen ill, I ended up meeting up with Nadia and we were both carers and we'd meet for a cuppa around at mine here in the living room on a Sunday evening and we'd meet once a week and we'd say, how have you been? We would check in with each other. Say, how have you been mentally, emotionally, physically? What's been good this week? What's not been good? Have you been feeling better or worse? It was really good to gain that. But otherwise you just don't think about it. You push it to the side and then you're blindsided and you end up falling ill like I did. So it's great if you do have a fellow carer or somebody who really gets you and just check in with them once a week. And if you could do it in person or over the phone, maybe a, a fellow carer here or somebody that you could kind of like be a, a buddy accountability partner would be really powerful. Maybe Zoom or Skype would just be on the phone, but just checking in, even if it's like 20 minutes a week, it's very powerful. Another powerful thing to help us as well, I know a lot of carers who do this, I have as well, and I've made a big difference for me, is journaling. I don't know if you've journaled before, really it's just a pad and pen by the side of your bed. And I kind of see it as a mini coaching session. So if you get into bed, you sit there and I you say to myself, what's been going on? What's not really been going well? So I write down all the issues and what it does, it takes all the issues out of your head onto paper. You can see the wood for the trees. You see it in black and white in front of you. Write it all out and then say to myself, say to yourself, what can I do differently? What can I do about this? And some things are beyond our control, of course, like my, my husband, you know, his brain tumor, it would be whatever it would be and however long he would last. So that was, but I did have control on how I reacted or how I treated myself during that time. And then what can you do to control or help yourself? Anything that comes up, any good points, what I would do is underline those, those key messages very powerful. So try journaling, just a pad and pen, maybe try it for a week. I don't do it every night, maybe just once every now and again, but I found it is very useful and so do a lot of other carers. So looking after you, question, have you had a carer's assessment? If you haven't, do contact social services to find out what support you need and maybe what's around, what's available for you. And remember to take those regular breaks. You need time to rest and recoup. And this is something that I've done of recent. What's on your me time list? And what I would describe that is jotting down on a piece of paper all the sorts of things you love doing. So maybe it'd be walking in your favorite area, you know, going in the sunshine. So we're so lucky with the sun at the moment and it being outside or sitting in the garden and reading your favorite book or listening to a favorite piece of music. But actually jot all those things down. It's almost like a menu or who are your best mates? People who really get you, you can have a chuckle and a laugh with. Jotting them down and then pinning it up, maybe on the fridge or somewhere else. 
But what that does is when you're not feeling in a good place, it gives you a little menu of things that go, right, which one of those am I going to do now to get myself out of this rut and make myself feel better? Because when you are in that rut and you're not feeling so good, we don't think of all those things on that list. I don't either. So having it there and having it as a me time menu is very powerful. I'd also put the feelers out, as I mentioned, to all the great support and avail which is available to you local and national charities. I think at Carers UK, they, they have a whole load of things in their share and learn lessons, live sessions as well. Your local carers centre, if you've not got in touch with them. And I, speak to, I spoke to a lots of other carers when I was caring for Neil. They can be great at telling you what's available in, in the area, uh, which is really useful for you. Maybe your local councils, and like I say, chat to other carers. It can be word of mouth sometimes, and healthcare professionals. GPs, some can be great, some less so. Maybe a district nurse is coming in. I put the feelers out because it took me years to find the stuff that I needed to give me support and take as much support as you can. And this is a lovely one for carers. I know of another carer who does this. She wakes up each morning saying, what will I do for myself today? And then when she gets back into bed, she says, what did I do for myself every day? Just doing that every day for a couple of days. Start to notice any tweaks or shifts that are happening in your life and how you are feeling. Because self-care is not selfish. You deserve joy and happiness as a carer. And I would say about self-care, it's not just about brushing your teeth or taking a shower. It's about enriching your own life, having and doing the things that make you feel happy and fulfilled, enjoying pursuits that put a smile on your face and even make you feel excited. These daily pleasures, however small they might be, are really important. Just little things can really make us feel better because it's really important to have care for you. I also want to ask you, do you have healthy boundaries? Do you have any boundaries? For me personally, when I was caring for Neil, I had no boundaries at all. No wonder I fell ill. And after I had fallen ill and I'd come home here, my good friend Joe actually popped round to see how I was from near Brighton. And we sat having a cup of tea while Neil was in his hospital bed asleep. And I said, you know what, Joe? I can care for Neil. I have an advanced level of caring, as I'm sure you do for your loved one. But what really scuppered me, I told her, was two particular people in my life. One of them was a family member, a trained nurse of all things. The other was a friend. And they could see I was caring for a terminally ill and very disabled husband. But they put on me and they judged me. And they made me feel really low. It's almost like they just pulled the rug from under my feet. I was floored. Joe said to me, you know what, Sarah? People are like taps or drains. Taps are people in your life who fill you up. And drains, well, they're draining of your time and your energy and how they make you feel. My God, this was a eureka moment for me. Wow. I presumed that both these people in my life were taps like me, I was always saying, how can I help? What do you need? But they weren't. They were drains. They couldn't see beyond their nose to say, how are you, Sarah? What do you need? They never asked that. 
And I loved this analogy. It's very, very simple, but very effective. I still use it today. So Joe left a short while after. And as I sat down at the desk, right here, I got a piece of paper and I wrote at the top, taps and drains, drew a line down the middle and I went through everybody in my life, work colleagues as well, everybody, tap or drain, tap or drain. I gave them a second each. Within 10 minutes, I sat back and looked at the lists. I went, wow, Sarah, look at all the taps in your life. There was a huge list of taps. And there was just a short list of drains, the people who were draining in my life, some family members. But I remember thinking, my God, some of them had really blindsided me. I'd be presumed that they were like me, like loving and giving. I said, Sarah, focus on all the taps in your life. Forget about the drains. And this is what I said with a particular family. I know of carers who've actually fallen out with family because they haven't got the energy for that draining behavior. But I said to myself, if they come to our front door again, great. If they never come to our front door again, great. I actually emotionally let those people go. And if I see them, I see them. I don't, I don't. And I don't expect anything from them. And that was very empowering for me because I was, suffering the, I was suffering the fools gladly at that time. So I have questions for you here. When you hang out with the taps in your life, and I want you to think of a tap right now. And I hope you can think of one person in your life who's a tap, otherwise I'll be your tap. How do they make you feel? How do those good friends or good family or whoever it might be, a healthcare professional, how do they make you feel when you're hanging out with them? And then think of somebody draining. I think when it comes to family, it's compulsory to have at least one draining person in the family. How do you feel when you've been hanging out with them? Be more aware of that. And it's not just people, it's also about places, which actually fill you up and which places make you feel drained. Remember for the longest time, for five years, being with Neil at the hospital while he was having chemotherapy, I found that horribly draining in there. People were very stressed at the time. So if you have been feeling drained when you've been in somewhere particular, do something to fill yourself up, make yourself feel better. So it's good to be aware of what fills you up and what depletes you. But like I say, if there's certain people or places that do drain you, can you spend less time with them? Not always easy, especially if it's family or you live under the same roof. And maybe if it's somewhere that's been draining, do what I did. Fill yourself up afterwards. Do something to make yourself feel better. And are you able to spend less time, with the, more time with the taps in your life? And maybe write that list as I did. I was completely blindsided with how people's behaviour. And focus on those taps and surround them in your life. Because it's good to ensure you enjoy time with the taps in your life. And I would say as well, when it comes to healthy boundaries, push back and know where to say no. You don't need to say yes and try and rescue everybody else. You are also here for you. Be there for you every day. And a lot of us as carers don't get our 40 rings, do we, our sleep? And my question to you is, are you getting decent quality sleep? For me, I had that baby monitor on and it kept me I, listening out for Neil every night for years. So I wasn't getting that quality sleep. 
So these are just some tips for you. So a lack of sleep suppresses your immunity and ensuring quality sleep is good for a lot of things for you. Your mental and physical health, your memory, mood, weight and eating habits. I don't know about you, but when I've been feeling really tired, I go for those sugary snacks. And most of us need a good eight hours of sleep to function properly the next day. So to improve the quality of your sleep, maybe you're, you could try a few of these if you've not done this yet. Just please do make sure your bedroom is comfortable. Maybe try having the windows open, especially when it's hot and humid at the moment, having that fresh air. Maybe leave your TV or computer downstairs um, because you've got that blue light. It's not so good for the brain when you're trying to go to sleep. I know a lot of us always got on our phones, aren't we, once we get into bed. Uh, but it's not doing any good. Maybe put it on silent. And I actually put my phone on airplane mode when I go to bed because you never know. Somebody's going to ping you a text or something when you're, you know, in the middle of a deep sleep. It's not good for you. Make sure your bedroom is dark. Have blackout curtains or do what I do. Use an eye mask. What this does is it actually boosts your melatonin levels. Really good for your health and for your brain. And maybe try cutting down caffeine after 4 p.m as this can increase your adrenaline level levels, um, which is not good if you're wanting to wind down and relax. You maybe have a bath, that can kind of relax you further. And this is something I do as well, and I know other carers do. Keep a notepad by the side of the bed. And so if anything kind of comes up, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, right. there's a million and one things I know that you have to deal with. Jot down anything that comes up. So you don't have to lay there, keep thinking about, oh, I've got to remember this, I've got to remember this jot it down for that peace of mind because everything you do you'll do better with a good nice sleep and i've mentioned it before take a break it could be like just 10 minutes half an hour whatever it might be but getting into the outside space if it's just walking down the road and back again helps you deal with the inside space it's very powerful, just a short space. When I was on that silent retreat, I, it really opened my eyes. When I got away from everything, really empowered me. And I realized what I needed to do when I got home. And I'm gonna very quickly just show you Carers Masterclass, which is my online course for carers. I'll put the link in the chat. It has these five key areas of your life, gaining great clarity, taking back control. You've got so much to deal with and ways in which to do that. A lot of exercise sheets and then other sheets that are really handy and useful for filling in. We also look at your support network on a deeper level. I've touched base on it today. And also about your health, not just about your loved one. Like I said, best part is 70% of us fall ill. So it is important to look at your health and we look at ways, simple ways in which to do that. And finally, about enjoying your life and cloud nine really important because it changes your how you're feeling it changes how you think and actually you'll think about things that you hadn't think thought about before which would be very useful for you so this is the wheel of wisdom and i've given this course face to face with our local carers center and, she, and as sue said she felt empowered this was the online course she used to feel guilty but within a couple of weeks actually she said i don't feel guilty anymore um, because I know I need time for me after I've done your course. She recognised that. And Barbara did uh, do the course face to face. And she said she just loved doing the course. She had a lot to deal with, caring for her 
for our daughter who had a lot of unfortunate issues and problems. Um, so do check it out and see if there's a bit more and see if it's something for you. And I am, yeah, it's been lovely to share and I'm going to come out and say thank you. So thank you because anybody who's listening to the recording, uh, I hope you enjoy this. Do check out my website as well. I have some videos on there to help you as well.